Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. How about the band? Aren't they great? You know, they come in, they come in every week at 8 o'clock or a little before, and, and our tech team, and they come in and they, they practice and they do all this, and as, as Scott said, they're not compensated, and, and they do a really, really good job, and uh, we appreciate them. Uh, great job this morning, guys. <clears throat> so not, in, in case you don't know, my name's Heath Harrell. Um, I serve as one of your deacons uh, here at the refuge, and I uh, always appreciate the opportunity to uh, get to stand up and, and speak. I uh, appreciate the elders for allowing me to uh, share with you this morning. Um, we're going to continue this morning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 49. Uh, if you're new or you're a visitor, um, we practice expository preaching here at the Refuge. And so uh, what that means is simply we just take the Bible and we study it verse by verse. We take everything. We don't skip over anything. And, and so um, it, it's one of the I love that part of this church. When we visited here the first time, uh, it's the first time I've ever been somewhere that did that, and, and I really enjoy it. It's, it's also kind of easy if you're preaching because you know what your subject matter is going to be. You don't have to come up with anything. You know exactly where you're going to be. So um, before we get started, how many of you were here last week and remember what Pastor Scott talked about? We'll go back. Give me a... There's one word I'm looking for. It was something that, that he brought up and he spoke about and he spoke on. Has anybody got any idea what that word is? Starts with an L. Who said it? Legacy. That's right. Good. He spoke on the, your legacy. And what he said was that each of us is going to leave a legacy, right? Our actions, our decisions, our, how we live our life will determine our legacy. And as we said last week, you, you know, some are going to leave a masterpiece, some may leave somewhat of a mess, and pretty much we're all going to be in, in the middle of that somewhere. So as we move into chapter 49 today, we're going we're gonna to look at just the first 12 verses. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jacob, um, Israel. He's at the end of his life, and so just as Jacob's life and, and how he's lived his life has determined his legacy, we're also going to look at his 12 sons and the legacy that they will leave behind. So if you'll turn to Genesis, oh, I'll skip my first slide. There you go. So as we turn to Genesis uh, chapter 49 on your device or in your Bible, uh, let's go ahead and read that. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch." Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel, O my glory. Be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. 
Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, uh, as we come to you this morning, we just ask that your spirit fill this place. Lord, as we study your word, we ask that our hearts be open. Open our hearts, open our minds, Lord. And I just ask you, speak through me. Let, let these not be my words, but your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jacob, the patriarch of the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 sons. And so as I was getting ready for this, I was thinking about, on a side note, I was thinking about, I have one brother, and I know some of the gray hairs that we caused on my mom and dad. Can you imagine 12 boys and uh, the gray hairs and, the, and the, <laughs> just the, the, the angst that they caused? So Israel is at the end of his life. He's 147 years old, and he gathers his 12 sons together. So he's going to tell them what's about to happen in the days to come. And what this is going to prove to be, it's going to prove to be more like prophecies. It's, it's prophecies that actually will prove to be extremely accurate. As I read one commentator said, these prophecies will stand as one of the greatest proofs of the inspiration of the word of God. If you notice the words of Jacob in verse 2. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. All right, so if you remember Jacob, Jacob was born, and, and Jacob's name means heel grabber or trickster or supplanter. So Jacob, that name identifies as Jacob as the man of the flesh. That name identifies the Jacob that was all about Jacob. He was all about bettering himself. Then if you remember one night, Jacob, he met the master. He wrestled with God on the bank of that creek, and his life was changed forever. His name was changed too. No longer was he going to be called Jacob, but his new name was Israel. And that name means the Prince of God. So his new name is a name that now represents a man of faith. A man who walks with, or rather limps with, limps along with God. That's who Jacob became. So as I read this, I told the guys at work, I, was, I, was, I walked in there and I said, when I read... And he calls his sons together. It's a, he's 147 years old and everything they put him through. I read it like this. You sons of Jacob, get in here. <laughs> that's just how I read it. In my mind, that's how I kept thinking about it. Because there were some knuckleheads, right? 
they did some stupid stuff. I think Jacob's trying to get their attention one last time, and he says, boys, you have a sin problem that you need to deal with. You have a sin problem you need to overcome. And we all have sin problems, right? Every last one of us. It describes everybody in this room. We all have a sin problem that we have to deal with. We are all knuckleheads from time to time. The question is this, how do you deal with your sin problem? How we deal with our sin has a really, really big impact on our legacy. This morning, we're just going to look at the first four sons of Jacob as they sit and stand before their father. We'll see three different ways of how they dealt with their sin. It's three different ways, and it's three ways that how I think a lot of people deal with their sin today. See, you can cover your sin, you can hide from it, you can pretend like it never happened. Or you can be controlled by your sin. You can let your sin control you. Or the other option is you can confess your sin. So first up is the firstborn, and that's Reuben. So we're going to look at Reuben. What does Jacob say? He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and my firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So verse 3 starts off pretty good for Reuben. Hey, you're my firstborn. You're my might, my dignity, my power. And after all, the inheritance belongs to the firstborn. It belonged to Reuben. The firstborn was expected to be a leader. Then in verse 4, Jacob reminds Reuben of his acts from 40 years ago. How he defiled his father's bed. If you remember back in chapter 35, after the death of Rachel, Jacob's love of his life, and Jacob was in mourning, he had gone up to bury Rachel. While he was doing that, Reuben went over to Bilhah's house, and he seduced her. Reuben's uncontrolled passions led to his personal ruin. The same holds true for us. Uncontrolled passions and lust lead to personal and family ruin. Jacob goes to Reuben and he basically says, Reuben, you're weak as water. You will not have preeminence. Now, how, how stable is water? That's extremely unstable. You can't build anything on water. It's about as unstable of an object as there is. So Reuben's life and his judgment is evidence that Reuben's sin, that he was trying to hide it, that he was, he was um, covering it up. See, as we walk through this life, on this earth, we are going to sin. But as long as we're still breathing, as long as you got breath in your body, you have an opportunity to confess your sin. You have an opportunity to seek forgiveness, to make amends. See, while we're on this earth in our fleshly body, we have the opportunity to seek 
the mercy seat of Christ. What isn't confessed at the mercy seat will surely be brought to light at the judgment seat. Reuben had 40 years to make things right. The tribe of Reuben would never go on to excel. If we look at Judges chapter 5, there was a great call to worship for the tribes of Israel, and, and they, had, they were celebrating this victory over the Canaanites. But Reuben, that tribe didn't show up. Instead, it says, among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of the heart. They were searching, they were wandering, but they weren't confessing. You go into Numbers, you look at number 16, and you read about Korah and what happened to them. They were also from the tribe of Reuben, and it says that, that God caused the earth to open up and swallowed them. Reuben never dealt with his sin. Instead, he tried to hide from it. He tried to cover it. Not only did it cost him his birthright, but it had a major impact on his legacy. His tribe would never prosper. Hiding our sin is extremely costly. We walk around and we act like things are good. We walk around and we pretend like everything's okay. Yet we have this unconfessed sin eating and festering away inside of us. What's the answer? What do you do? Listen, God's plan is very simple. You confess. Repent. You see, when we, when we confess our sins, we stop seeking to hide them from God and others. We bring them out into the open. We expose them to the light. When you handle your sins in this way, you can expect forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Going to 1 John chapter 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's the answer to covering your sin? Repent, confess, seek forgiveness. So up next are Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their sword. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. If you remember back in chapter 34, after the assault of their sister Dinah, Simeon and Levi decided to take the matter into their own hands. They convinced Shechem and the entire village to get circumcised. And after three days, they murdered every man in that village. They allowed their anger to take control of them. Now Jacob was extremely upset. He rebuked them. And instead of remorse and regret, they felt like their actions were justified. They never repented of their sin. 
and they let their anger control them. Uncontrolled anger can lead to ruin. So we look at how this turns out for Simeon and Levi. For Simeon, Simeon became the smallest tribe in Israel. Go to Deuteronomy 33. When Moses pronounces his blessing on Israel, Simeon is omitted. The tribe of Simeon was scattered and forced to share territory with Judah. They were eventually scattered throughout the land. Now the tribe of Levi was also scattered. But there was measure of repentance in the tribe of Levi. Because if you hear about the Levites, what are they referred to as? Old Testament scholar. The priest, right? They're referred to as the priestly tribe. So when you look at that, you go, well, what happened? Well, if you go to Exodus chapter 32, it says, When Moses asked who is on the Lord's side, the people of Levi stepped up and came to his side. They were made the priestly tribe. They were still scattered, but there was a level of repentance among the Levites. Simeon and Levi had the opportunity to confess. When Jacob rebuked them, right after they had done this horrible action, they had the chance to seek forgiveness. But instead, they allowed their anger and their sin to control them. And I know that never happens here, right? Not all anger is sin, okay? I mean, we can be upset with people. We just have to be careful not to cross that line. We have to care, be careful not to let that anger become unrighteous. Too often we move from being upset or angry to seeking revenge. You know what I'm talking about. I've seen it. We've all seen it. A person's wronged you or cheated you, and you just, you go off. You explode on them. I mean, has anybody ever done that? Anybody ever got upset with somebody? One, two, three, four, yeah. Everybody, we've gotten upset with people. We lose our cool. So I'm going to say this. Some of you may not agree with me, but going off on somebody or blowing up on somebody, it doesn't make you feel better. How many of you are saying, oh, it does for a minute? Yeah, maybe for a second. But we see it. We see it on social media especially, right? How many of you have sat back, and I'm guilty, of watching that Facebook or that next door battle? Oh, my goodness. If you live in Arlington or Lakeland, and I don't know if y'all know this, but some... Lakeland and Arlington people, it's kind of like oil and water sometimes online and in social media. Blowing up on somebody doesn't make you feel better. It only leads to further destruction. One of the analogies I read is, is we think we're just going to be honest and express our feelings. We go off and then we think it's over. So does a bomb, right? It blows up. But then there's devastation that it leads behind. What are we supposed to do? Romans 12, 19 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
It's one of the hardest things to do. And our tongues can be sharp as knives. Those texting fingers, that email, whew, they can cut. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, 26, 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You can't let your anger control you. As you look at your own life this morning, is there sin that's controlling you? Is there anger that's controlling you? It could be anger, self-centeredness. We all battle with that, but if they're left unchecked, they can become to control our lives. Man, don't carry it with you. Don't allow somebody being upset with somebody, angry with somebody, to control you. We have to let it go. You'll never reach your fullest potential if you allow sin to control you. You say, well, well, Heath, you don't understand. I've been through this or I've been through that and people have been through stuff. I get it. But if something is controlling you, if you're battling something, seek help. I mean, there's a group that meets here every Wednesday night. It's called Grace Group. You can start there. And they're all about helping people deal with things that are controlling them or, or issues that they can't deal with or they're having trouble dealing with. Seek help. Talk to one of your elders, one of your pastors. Deal with that sin that's controlling you so that you can reach your fullest potential in Christ. Listen, the best gift that you can give your family, the best thing you can do for your legacy, for those of, who are going to follow after you, for those who live around you today, is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God control your life. When He is in control, we will lead people to Him and not away from Him. When God is in control, we'll set a standard for godliness in our families that will carry on for generations. So now we come to Judah. So Judah's next. And what do you think he's thinking? I'll read you. I'll, I'll, let's just do a recap of, of some of Judah's accomplishments back in Genesis chapter 37. If we look back, Judah is the one who talked his brothers out of killing, out of killing Joseph, but instead convinced them they should sell him as a slave. You look further down, Judah was part of the lie that that broke his father's heart. They went and told Jacob that Joseph was dead. When Judah sought a wife in chapter 38, he married an unbeliever. He raised two sons that were so evil that God killed them. 
His wife died, and, and then he became controlled by fleshly lust. He sought companionship with what he thought was a harlot. He was guilty of, of committing a sin. Even though his daughter-in-law tricked him, he was still guilty of that sin. Then he became judgmental when he finds out that Tamar is pregnant. She's not married. He, he goes to have her burned. But then it turns out it's his child. And so he's, he's a hypocrite. How do you think he's feeling as he's getting ready to stand up in front of his father? So we read in verse 8. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff but from between his feet until the tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He was washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Jacob didn't bring up any of the junk that we just mentioned. He didn't bring any of it up. Reuben, Simeon, Levi. So here's Judah standing at the judgment seat of his father and not one word of his past is mentioned. No mention of the sins he committed. No words about his failures or his mistakes. There was no judgment passed on Judah. Only blessings, hope, and promises. It says he will be the object of praise among his brethren. He'll be a conqueror. He'll be strong and courageous like a mighty lion. Judah would eventually become the largest of all the tribes. Kings will come from his family. David, Solomon... They all come in the line of Judah. The greatest king of them all. Jesus Christ comes from Judah's lineage. Revelations 5, 5 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Judah would come on to be prosperous. He would tie his donkey in his coat to eat grapes instead of grass. He would be healthy and his people would prosper in the kingdom. So what happened? What happened? If you look in Genesis 43 and 44, let's look at it really closely and we'll see what happened, okay? 43 verse 8. And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of safety. I will be a pledge of his safety. 
From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So go back and remember that. This was Judah talking to his father Jacob about his little brother Benjamin. And Jacob was not wanting Benjamin to go to Egypt. But they needed food, right? And Joseph had told him, if you don't bring Benjamin, you're not getting any more food. So what does Judah do? He steps up and he says, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. If you go forward to chapter 44, now they're all at Egypt and they're standing before Joseph. And so bear with me, I'm going to read this so we can really see what happened. So verse 18 in chapter 44 says, Then Judah went up to him and said, he went up to Joseph and he said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother. And we said to my Lord, oh, excuse me, We have a father and an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he is alone. He alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you, Joseph, said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said, the boy cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would surely die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. So Joseph had put the ultimatum out. And Judah says, when we went back to your, to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when my father said, go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our younger brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother, unless Benjamin is with us. Then your servant, my father, said, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One has left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. And I haven't seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Verse 30 says, Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down his gray hairs. So this is it. Verse 32 in chapter 44. Judah says this. For your servant became a pledge of, pledge of safety for the boy to my father saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before the father for all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. All right, so what happened? Judah, the former self-centered, trickster, whatever, everything the junk he did, he's now offering to step in as a sacrifice for his brother Benjamin. I know that was a lot, but I want you to think about that, okay? So Judah's changed, right? 
His life has changed. He has a pledge of safety for his brother. Not only a pledge of safety, but he's willing to sacrifice his own life in place of his brother's life. Change has taken place in Judah's life. When change takes place in our lives, people see it. This is now the legacy of Judah. No more exploiting others. Instead, he's sacrificing for them. He's not pushing people down, but he's lifting them up. He's not using power to hurt others. He's using his power to help others. This is the kind of man that God wants to be king over his people. This is a picture of what will happen when the line of the tribe of Judah comes and sacrifices for every one of us. You see that little picture? Here he was. He's standing in. He's willing to give his life for his brother. His life had changed. This is the kind of man that God wants to be king over his people, to be leaders in our society, to be pastors in our churches. This is what God wants as husbands and fathers, as wives and mothers. To use, not to use others or to to domineer over them, but instead to lift them up and to serve them. To sacrifice rather than be selfish. To use our God-given strength and energy and resources and finances to influence and help others instead of hurting others. This is how it works when you choose to confess your sins. Because confessed sins are forgiven sins. You know what the beautiful thing about your sins being forgiven is? They're never going to be brought up again. So just as Judah was standing at the judgment seat of his father Jacob, not one of his sins was brought up or mentioned. That is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. That's a picture of what it's like. When you confess and repent, those sins are no longer mentioned. They're forgotten. The truth is this, we all fail, and we're all going to fail on a regular basis. The only way we can be restored to a place of fellowship with the Lord is just to be honest about our sin. Confess your sins, repent. See, there is forgiveness for every single person in this room, every single person online. Anybody watching, there's forgiveness when you repent. We'll read 1 John 1, 9 again. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So where are you this morning? We said there was three things that we saw in the brothers 
We had one that was covering his sin, hiding from his sin. We had two that were being controlled by their sin and letting, letting everything control them. They were letting their sins and their anger control them. And you have one who confessed his sin. However you answer those, whichever one you pick, that's going to leave a major impact on the legacy that you leave. We talked about this last week. Scott mentioned this in a different way than I'm going to mention it today. But the, the question of do you have a personal relationship with Christ? So that's a fair question, right? We've all asked it. Have you heard it asked or ask it? Nod your heads. I used to, I used to go to church with pastor. He said, shake your head like a chicken eating corn. <laughs> We've all heard that, right? Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? It's a fair question. So I listened to Vody Bauckham, and I love how he describes this. See, the answer to that question is yes. Every time you ask that question, the answer is yes. Doesn't matter who you're asking it to. Everyone has a relationship with Christ. He is either your redeemer or he is your judge. Either way, we all have a relationship. And either way, it's personal. As I close this morning, I, I was driving in and a song came on that I hadn't heard in a while. It's from Casting Crowns. And um, I'm just going to share with you uh, the words it says, I was a wandering soul, traveling a well-worn road, a sinner so far from home, with no second chance in sight. I heard you call my name, I felt you lift my shame, and I made a vow that day that I'd spend the rest of my life. Loving my Jesus, showing my scars, telling my story of how mercy can reach you where you are. And I pray the whole world hears the cry of my heart to see all the ones I love. Loving my Jesus. Let's pray.